When we look at David, we see what it means to be a man after God's own heart. And David did a key thing in this lesson. He inquired of the Lord. When the Philistines were coming after him, he inquired of the Lord before he went to battle. This is so important. It's something that we need to apply, something we can learn from David. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. All right, so we're in 2 Samuel. Let's uh, look at the end of chapter 5 for a second, and we're going to just see um, how the work that God is doing in David's life manifests itself in his dealings with the Philistines. So this is uh, 2 Samuel 5, verse 18. Now the Philistines came and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim that ran southwest of Jerusalem. And then David inquired of the Lord and said, shall I go up against the Philistines? Wilt thou give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal-perazim, literally means the Lord who breaks out, and defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore, he named the place Baal-perazim. May be a mountain where this occurred. You can write down Isaiah 28, uh, verse 21. So the... Installation of the king, he moves the capital to Jerusalem, as we saw last Sunday, and immediately the Philistines are fearful. Remember, for a while, David kind of acted like he was with the Philistines under King Achish, Achish, but now David was the elevated, anointed ruler of Israel, and David had defeated Goliath, and he had really been a thorn in the side of the Philistines. So when the Philistines heard that David had been elevated to king, they were a little bit afraid and they wanted to take him on and they wanted to take him out. And sometimes what happens is we finally get in a place where we feel we're at peace, you know, we're in a good spot. Maybe we feel like we're walking in the place that God has for us and the enemy comes in like a flood. The Philistines are the enemy. When you read these books of 1 and 2 Samuel, they come up over and over and over again. And in fact, kind of... uh, symbolized in Goliath, this giant uh, adversary of Israel, taunting the people of God, you know, and David was the one who threw the death blow towards Goliath, right? And uh, everybody was fearful. Even the king didn't want to do anything with Goliath, but David took him down. But they stir up again, and they come after the king, But the king dealt with them, and they, verse 21, abandoned their idols there. So David and his men carried them away. There's a parallel uh, track in 1 Chronicles, kind of from a priestly point of view, and it says these words. They abandoned their gods, 1 Chronicles 14, 12. So David gave the order, and they, that is the gods of the Philistines, were burned with fire. Can you think of some of the gods of the Philistines? They worshiped a god named Dagon. He was kind of half fish, half man. They worshiped a goddess uh, who is Ashtorite. And they had these uh, terrible practices that they had imbibed. Uh, A lot of like the ancient pagan religions that we see. And when David 
dealt with them, David defeated them and then took their idols. When you took another army's gods, uh, it was kind of the ultimate uh, act of saying, we defeated you, or our gods are greater than your gods. So do you remember back in 1 Samuel when the Philistines capture the Ark of God, which was really the symbol that the Israelis carried before their armies, they brought the Ark into the temple of Dagon and they set the Ark in there. And you remember what happened to Dagon? Dagon fell down before the Ark, right? And he broke into pieces and the priests of Dagon came in and they were, they had gorilla glue back in the day. So they were trying to glue him back together. And that's where that commercial came from. Our God has fallen and he can't get up. You guys have, anyway, never mind. And so look, if you have to pick your God up off the floor and glue him together, you may want to choose a different God. Amen. Let me help you out. Let's steady you. You're having a bad day, man. We'll put a band-aid right here. Not a good sign. So David dealt with them and dealt with their gods. Verse 22. Now the Philistines came up once again and spread themselves out over or in the valley of Rephaim. When the devil had finished every temptation against Jesus, he departed Luke 4.13 from him until an opportune time. Have you noticed the, de- the devil... The enemies never seem to give up. We experience a victory. We have a victory in one area of our life where we think, I'm good, I've arrived, I've got this Christian thing down. And all of a sudden, whack, you get hit out of nowhere. You see, we can never completely be, we need to rest in the Lord, but we can never be people who are not vigilant against the enemy. We're to put on the armor of God every day because we have an enemy that doesn't seem to rest. He's always on the prowl. And when David inquired of the Lord in light of the, this second uh, advance by the Philistines, he said, you shall not go directly up, circle, circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees... Is this angels in the trees? I don't know. Then you shall act promptly for the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. David inquired a second time. Now you, you could be tempted after you defeated the Philistines the first time. I got this, God. I'm already 1-0 against the Philistines. David's case, at least 2-0, right? So we're good. We'll just use the same plan as we've always used before, but God doesn't work that way. His ways are not our ways. So he gives them a different battle plan and he talks about hearing the sound of marching up in the trees. It is interesting to look at the parallel account in 1 Chronicles because it says, for God will have gone before you to strike the army of the Philistines. When you hear the marching sound on the tops of the balsam trees, then you'll know it's time to go. What in the world does that mean? Sounds of marching on top of the balsam trees What does that mean? What does that symbolize? I have no idea. (laughs) But I just know that's what God said to do. And if that's what God says to do, then do it. Amen? We have to say your will be done. You know, when they marched around Jericho, uh, around the walls, did it make sense as having a battle plan to march around with musical instruments? I mean, what in the world is that? 
Can you imagine the side meetings that were going on? What did he say we're going to do? No, we're going to get rocket launchers, man. We're going to breach the wall. What does he mean, dance around the city with priests leading and trumpets and that kind of thing? But God always wants us to be sure that the battle belongs to him. Do you bring him into your battles? Or are you fighting alone? Have you seen Christians who go out without the armor of God on? They're not looking so hot. Because the enemy is powerful and strong. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Then David did so, verse 25, just as the Lord had commanded him, he struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Gitzer. That's a wider campaign suggesting uh, an area of probably 20 miles west of Jerusalem. So a, a wider campaign. David is successful. He's moved his capital to Jerusalem. He's defeated the Philistines. A double defeat undoing what happened in 1 Samuel 4, where Israel was defeated twice by the Philistines. David is now moving in the right direction. It's been a long wait. Now he's where he wants to be. And here's what he's going to do now. Now David, chapter 6, verse 1, again gathered all the chosen men. That might speak of the troops of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him at Baal Judah, or Lords of Judah is how you could translate this. This is an area called Kerith Jerim. It means city of forests. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. To bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned above the cherubim. Now, David wanted to move the ark into the capital city, and he had prepared a tent for it. And I think the ark, in many ways, was a rallying point for Israel. And the ark had been sitting uh, because of a defeat that had happened with Israel. The Philistines had captured the ark. Then bad things were happening in Philistine country. They wanted to give it back. The men of Beth Shemesh took the ark. They looked into the ark and there was a huge devastation. Thousands of people died in the area. And people were saying, we, we, don't, want, we don't want anything to do with this thing. And they put it up on a hill in somebody's home and it stood there for probably 70 to 100 years. And people pretty much forgot about the ark. It was being watched over by a few people, but as it related to the heartbeat of the nation, nobody was really paying attention to the ark. But at this time, David wants to bring the ark up. He wants to bring it into the city. And notice the ark has the very name of God. He didn't want it neglected any longer. And so he was to bring the ark up. In 1 Chronicles 13, we have to ask the question, why did David want to bring the ark up? It wasn't safe, but the ark often was associated with victory and blessings. In fact, you could say that David wanted to bring the ark into Jerusalem to speak the, the phrase, one nation under God, because the ark represented God's presence. In fact, it's called the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant speaks of what? A covenant is a relationship. Think of it. The Ark of the Covenant. This is where you will meet with me. This piece of furniture was the holiest of all pieces of furniture behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies and only one man and that once a year and not without blood went in there. 
to be with the Lord on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. This was a very sacred object. Hey folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. But at this time, David wants to bring the ark up. He wants to bring it into the city. And notice the ark has the very name of God. He didn't want it neglected any longer. And so he was to bring the ark up. In 1 Chronicles 13, we have to ask the question, why did David want to bring the ark up? It wasn't safe but the ark often was associated with victory and blessings. In fact, you could say that David wanted to bring the ark into Jerusalem to speak the the phrase, one nation under God, because the ark represented God's presence. In fact, it's called the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant speaks of what? A covenant is a relationship. Think of it. The Ark of the Covenant. This is where you will meet with me. This piece of furniture was the holiest of all pieces of furniture behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies and only one man and that once a year and not without blood went in there to be with the Lord on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. This was a very sacred object. God had given instructions in Exodus 25 on how to build it, and it was overlaid with pure gold, but it was also made with wood. The wood speaks of humanity, the gold of deity. There, that object of the Ark of the Covenant is the best symbol in the furnishings of the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ, because on the top of the Ark was something called the mercy seat. And Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. In the chest of the Ark, they put the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments give testimony that I fall short of God. I shall fall short of the laws of God, if you will. But the mercy seat is sprinkled with the blood. And every time the law testifies against Michael Lance, the blood of the covenant keeps me cleansed before Almighty God. This is the picture of the ark. I don't know if they knew all of these uh, symbolic pieces, but David wanted to bring it. In 1 Chronicles 13, 2, David assembled Israel. He says, if it seems good to you, if it is from the Lord our God, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel. Also to the priests, to the Levites who are with them in their cities and pasture lands, that they may, we, may meet with us. And let us bring back the ark of our God to us. For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David said, if the Lord's in this, let's, let's do this. And we often say that, right? We, we have an opportunity before us sometimes and we say, if the Lord's in this, we'll do this. And we get counsel from people and we pray about it. And these are some of the more difficult things in life. Understanding, knowing, discerning the will of God. Why do you think David wanted to bring the ark into the city of God? 
It's conjecture. We don't know. Did he ask the Lord? He had inquired about the battle with the Philistines. Did he ask the Lord specifically, do you want me to do this? We don't know for sure. But we could say it was a good thing to bring the ark at the center of the nation to pitch a tent for it. Nothing wrong with that. They placed the ark of God on a new cart, verse three, chapter uh, six, that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab. That's where it had been on the hill, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, some of you come from Ohio, uh, the sons of Abinadab were leading the new cart. And so they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood, with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets. How about that, brothers and sisters? Talk about Mexico. There you go. And cymbals. Man, they had the musical instruments out. It was celebration time. The ark was being moved, representative of the presence of God. They were praising God. David was a musician. He loved to praise the Lord with music. He loved to play something like a guitar and sing praises to the Lord. He was a skillful musician. This is one of the ways that we worship God is through praise. But when they came to the threshing floor, I've told you in the past, the threshing floor speaks of God's holiness. It's the separation from the wheat, the wheat from the chaff. In fact, it speaks more of our holiness because in order to be holy, God has to separate the wheat from the chaff in our lives. And this happened at the threshing floor. You're going to see how appropriate this is. Of Nakan. Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah. And God struck him down there for his irreverence. If you have an NIV, it says an irreverent act. ESV, New King James says, for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. So they have this new cart. They have an oxen to pull it. And they're pulling the cart along and there's castanets and singing, praise the Lord. This is a glorious day for the city, the new king, the new capital. And, and the oxen upset the ark a little bit. So seems like a, a good deed. Seems like a great deed. Steady the ark. We don't want the ark falling down. This would be really bad, right? For all that it symbolizes. So he steadies the ark and zap. Uzzah is dead. Can you imagine? That's going to kind of kill the party, don't you think? <laughs> just, just put him into a tent. Let's keep singing. We're, we're good. No. No, he died there on the spot. God killed him on the spot for steadying the ark. And you're like, what? Why, why would God do that? What is going on? What is the message here? Psalm 80 says, Give ear, shepherd of Israel. Thou dost lead Joseph like a flock. Thou who art enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. God says he's enthroned above the cherubim on the ark in some symbolic way. Psalm 99 says he's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise thy great and awesome name. Holy is he. God is holy. You remember, God said, when the priest goes in on the day of atonement, if he doesn't have things right, he can die in the holy of holies. That's how holy God is. 
There were people who saw God in the Old Testament and were shocked that they didn't die on the spot. We've seen the Lord and we're not dead. This was the awesome grandeur of the God of the Bible. Do you think our current culture understands that? Do you think our current culture knows that the book of Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire? Do you know who we're dealing with when we talk about a being who can speak the universe into existence? We, we don't even know what's out there. The universe is largely untapped. He is a star breather, as someone once put it. He speaks and things happen. Things are created from nothing, by the way. He didn't need somebody else's dirt to make you. He made the dirt and then he breathed life into Adam. He is holy. And he had given specific instructions on the ark. Turn to the book of Numbers if you would. You have to see what's going on here. The book of Numbers chapter four. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers four. Let's turn over there for a second and take a peek at the instructions that were given to Moses as it relates to the holy things. He says, Numbers 4.4. 4. This is the work of the descendants of Kohath in the tent of meeting concerning the most holy things. Numbers 4.4, 4, concerning the most holy things. When the camp sets out, Aaron and his son shall go in and they shall take down the veil of the screen and, the cover, and cover the ark of the testimony with it. They shall lay a covering of porpoise skin on it, four six of numbers, shall spread over it a cloth of pure, pure blue, and shall insert its poles. Now remember, the original temple was a tabernacle. It was a tent. It was movable. And when Israel moved, it moved with them. And they had a way of packing up the tent. And one of the things that they were told is when you deal with the holy things and the most holy things in the house of God, you are to lay coverings on them and you are to carry them in a specific way. So think of two words, very simple. They are to be covered and carried. Two C words, covered and carried. Now, porpoise skin to me sounds pretty thick, right? So they're to be covered up and they're to be carried. Now, you guys remember what happened in Indiana Jones when the Nazis looked into the ark, right? It was a bad career move for all of those people. In one of the great cinematic scenes of all time, faces melting, heads exploding. It's a glorious scene. Now, do you remember, Indiana says to his girlfriend as they're tied up at the pole, whatever you do, don't look at it. And you hear, people are, right? Don't let this. There's, there's like the fury and fire of God. And, they're screaming, don't look, whatever you do, keep your eyes shut. And they do, and they survive it. Do you know, that's a biblical concept. You know, when I, I've watched that movie so many times. But, and you can tell. <laughs> so you can act out the whole movie in front of us, Pastor Michael. But the idea of keeping your eyes shut is biblical. In fact, a Jewish man is behind those movies. And here's what's going on. The normal average person was not to peer into the most holy things because symbolically it was like looking at God. It was like 
dealing with the most high God when you weren't prepared to do so. And God said, if this is not done properly, look down to verse 11, Numbers 4, 11. It says, the golden altar, they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of porpoise skin. They shall insert poles, 412. The utensils are being talked about, put on them uh, a covering of porpoise skin, end of 12, and carrying bars. Notice the ashes for the altar, purple cloth over that, verse 14. You have utensils, basins, and so forth. Spread a cover of porpoise skin over it, insert poles. Look at verse 15. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects, all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set out after the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them so that they may not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. Skip down to verse 18. Do not let the tribe of the families of the Kohathites be cut off from among the Levites. 19, but do this to them that they may live and not die. When they approach the most holy objects, Aaron and his son shall go in and assign each of them to his work and to his load. But they shall not go in to see the holy objects even for a moment, lest they what? Lest they die. Some of you are saying, but wait a minute. I don't quite understand this. Remember, God is not safe, but he's good. He is holy. And he says, I will be treated as holy. There is a certain way I want you to carry these objects. I don't want you looking into them and I don't want you touching them. You cover them and you carry them with poles. Now, what's happening in 2 Samuel 6, as we go back there, is they put the ark on what? Everybody remember? The ark is on a new cart. Do you know who did that? The pagans did that. When they were dealing with the Ark of the Covenant and they had captured it and then there was further scenes in 1 Samuel, they put the Ark on a new cart. That was not God's instruction. That was how the pagans dealt with the Ark. And the church sometimes is guilty of following the world. We say things like this in the modern church. Well, the ends justify the means. Oh, I'm not sure folks. Because look, it wasn't so much what David wanted to do, but how he did it. That was the issue. And how we do things is extremely important. Warren Wearsby comments. He says, the church today needs to heed this reminder and return to the word of God for an understanding of the will of God. No amount of unity of enthusiasm can compensate for disobedience. When God's work is done in man's way, and we imitate the world instead of obeying the word. We can never expect the blessing of God. The crowds may approve of what we do, but what about the approval of God? The way of the world is ultimately the way of death. The crowds may cheer you on, but the question is, has anybody looked at what the Bible says about this? Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. 
God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.